Welcome to Poptopia. Welcome to Poptopia, your podcast for all things pop culture. I'm your host, Paul French, and it is Monday, January 4th, 2010, as we bid a farewell to 2009. That's right. Don't let the door hit you, 2009. 2010's here and is just much cuter than you. So there you have it. So uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a little bit of uh, year-end stuff, you know, just talk about... Uh, Talk about the things in in pop culture that I particularly enjoyed, and um, I was gonna do like a five best and a five worst list, but to be quite honest, there's two reasons I'm not gonna do it that way. The um, with the, with the worst list, it's just negativity, and hey, let's let's just avoid some negativity, shall we? I I, I do enough of that, okay? To be fair, I, there's enough of that going around, and uh, and so I'm not gonna get into what I really hated. I, Maybe talk about sort of you know, biggest disappointment, but uh, but I don't want to get into yeah this sucked and so did this and oh this was awful, and uh, gonna try and stay away from that. Um, instead, I'm gonna focus on uh, on the stuff I really enjoyed in uh, movies, in TV, in music, and in comics. I was gonna do books, but then I realized most of the things that were my favorite of last year were actually books from at least the year before. You know, at at best, some of them even older than that, and uh, so so there's only one, and you know, I'll, I'll just get that out of the way now. Is Stephen King's Under the Dome? Um, it's one of the first uh, Stephen King books in several years that's really excited me, and uh, and I'm only part way through it, but I, it's it's hard to put down. Easier because gravity takes over, because the thing is like a huge brick. I mean, it is a big book, and uh, and I, I guess that's part of it. Is it? It just feels like uh, it's got the feel of of things like in the in the stand again, and uh, and so I've really been enjoying that one. So, all right, so let's uh, let's start with movies. Now, first off, you may look, end up uh, sort of seeing my list and thinking, "Hey, you know, there's there was some really good other stuff that came out this year too." Yeah, but I probably didn't see it. So, you know, you're not going to end up with uh, Inglorious Bastards on on my list. Even if when I eventually see it, it ends up being like, wow, this was the greatest movie ever. I can't believe I missed this. You know, part of, uh, part of, uh, of having a kid in the middle of the summer is, uh, is you, you, you end up missing a whole bunch of movies in that last half of the year. And um, so, you know, I've only seen really a couple of movies in the last, uh, in the last five months. And um, none of them were that great, I got to say. So. Let's talk about uh, about my favorites, and and so there's five of them, and this this is in no particular order. These were just the five that that after I thought, yeah, you know, I, as I as I hit the end of the year, I think I really enjoyed those, and so these were the ones that really kind of stood out to me. First off, we got Five Hundred Days of Summer. Longtime listeners to the show will know I'm usually somewhat down on romantic comedies. Why? Because most of them are terrible. They're absolutely awful, you know, and. Um, I find a good judge of that is that that it hey it's a script that Hugh Grant chose it can't be that good although he's chosen some good ones in the past see so he throws me for a loop but uh, um, you know I think sort of in the in the music and lyrics vein terrible terrible movie completely cliched and um, you know I, I'd I'd rather something surprise me than than be formulaic. You know, I'd rather something, uh, you know, that's that's kind of one of the things that entertains me. That said, not that these are going to necessarily do that, but 500 Days of Summer was was one for me because it got the mix right. See, what most romantic comedies do, and I already sort of went back and did that whole negative thing. You see? You see why I don't do a worst of list? Because I do enough of it without that. Uh, but 500 Days of Summer was one that got it right for me because 
They remembered the romance side of it, and they remembered to be funny. Key thing to a romantic comedy is both elements, romantic and comedic. Most of them fall down on the comedic part, and really the uh, the romantic part ends up just being a whole codependency thing, and that's kind of creepy. 500 Days of Summer was one for me, and uh, yeah, I know. Gee, shocking, Paul, a movie that Zoe Deschanel was in, and uh, and that makes the list. And uh, But hey, Yes Man didn't. I'm just saying. All right, uh, also uh, on the list, Drag Me to Hell. If nothing else, you know, was it the greatest movie ever? No, but it was it was it was fun. I I really enjoyed that movie, and uh, and I think a part of it is it just brings Sam Raimi back to his roots of doing horror. You know, anything that brings Sam Raimi back to horror movies is okay by me, and uh, and I'd I'd frankly like to see a lot more of it. So so that was one of them. The J.J. Uh, Abrams reboot of Star Trek. First time I've enjoyed a Star Trek movie since. Um, hmm. Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I don't know. None of them have really grabbed me, and in fact, the franchise as, as a as a whole tends to kind of bore me. Um, you know, I watched a lot of Next Generation when I was in uh, when I was in university, and didn't really continue on with it much beyond that. You know, I would always work, watch the first couple of episodes of one of the new series, and it would never really stick with me. This stuck with me. I really enjoyed it. I had a fun time with it. Again, you know. Flawed, yeah, sure, whatever, you know. Uh, but uh, but it, fun, you know. And I'll I'll take fun over over flawed anytime. And um, up uh, up next, and this one, you know, this is a movie that I said to to my wife, and I'm gonna give an honor honorary mention to I Love You, Man, because it kind of fell in that same vein for me. Where basically I went, to, I ended up going to see these two on, on my own because I thought to myself, you know, I'm gonna see this movie. I'm going to think it's like funniest thing ever. And my wife's going to think it's the dumbest thing ever. And we'll both be right. But in both cases, I've since shown her these movies and, uh, and she's enjoyed them as well. So who knew? So, uh, so yes, I love you, man. Gets an honorable mention because that was a, that was a really good one as well. I really did enjoy that. And it, it actually bore some rewatching, uh, because again, has the romantic and the funny, the funny, in fact, it has the funny first. But the one that really got me was The Hangover. And uh, The Hangover, again, just a fun, fun movie. Hey, there's always a benefit for me to any movie that has some Vegas stuff in it because I, I love me some Vegas. But uh, but this one, you know, again, really made with the funny. Uh, Zach Galifianakis was as funny as I've ever seen him in this movie. And just there's just little mannerisms that crack me up about him. Uh, Bradley Cooper kind of plays that that persona that he gets cast in a lot these days um uh but plays it to really good funny effect and um and ed helms wow ed helms just gives her in this and uh so thoroughly enjoyed it um enjoyed it as much if not more on the second viewing so uh that always is the mark of a good one for me and uh finally and again i said no particular order but this one i gotta say was probably top of the stack and that was up um, <clears throat> for me, uh, non-Brad Bird Pixar generally is a, a, an iffy proposition for me, but this one, I just, I, I love the premise of it right from the beginning. And, uh, and you've got a movie that's really funny, is really touching, really poignant, uh, has just a whole lot going on, uh, obviously beautifully animated. And I think that we come to expect that from, uh, from Pixar to the point where we take it for granted and, and um, 
it definitely cemented the fact that as much as I enjoy the upsampling of DVDs on my Blu-ray player, um, the Pixar movies are all getting switched over to uh, to Blu-ray. Uh, I've bought the last couple that way, and uh, and I'm thinking I've got to replace some of the other stuff because wow, the the level of detail, and I know it's not really the point of it, but but hey, the level of detail is just so beautiful that that it just seemed to me to be well worth it. And I love what they're doing with the latest packs. You know, the um, up I got uh, I got the up Blu-ray, which also came with a. Um, a DVD version of the movie as well as a digital copy. And I kind of like that idea. You know, it, uh, it gives us all, all of the options right there in one box. And, uh, and I definitely applaud that decision. Um, you know, that it just makes a lot of sense to me. And, uh, but yeah, I tell you, God, so beautiful on, on the Blu-ray. So that's definitely something to, to check out. Moving over to TV. Hey, you can take my list from a couple of years ago and probably, well, with the exception of one, uh, pretty much paste the same thing in because it's it's often a lot of the same type of stuff that comes in. Um, first off, we'll talk 30 Rock. Um, I think my initial distaste for the show, and I, and I don't, I maybe distaste isn't the right word. My initial reluctance with the show at the very beginning was was because of the whole everyone drawing comparisons between that and Studio 60 and with me being such a big Sorkin fan, I felt I had to take that side of it. But really, I enjoyed both. And uh, continue to enjoy 30 Rock. Um, you know, it's it's always a highlight. It's it's one of the few shows I actually watch live, mainly because, as, as Matt Fraction said, Twitter is all about, you know, basically the whole purpose for Twitter is to spoil uh, 30 Rock for viewers on the west coast and you know or viewers that, that pvr it so so for me 30 rock is always a, a must watch and it's it's the one of the very very few live watches uh that i have and uh always thoroughly enjoy it um you know to me a, a bad 30 rock is just so much better than than the best of everything else so or almost anything else so always enjoying that so tina Fey still doing a great job um and uh with you know the whole cast really is, is firing on all cylinders. You know, you get to Kenneth, because I can never remember his real name, and uh, Jack McBrayer. See, there, it just occurred to me. Uh, of course, Alec Baldwin and, uh, and and Tracy Morgan. Hey, it's all it's always good. I can't believe that my initial complaints about it were I hate it whenever Tracy Morgan's on the screen, because that's crazy. Uh, coming in next, uh, Parks and Recreation takes that. Uh, it, it really came out as kind of an office clone at first, and you know, with obvious reasons. But uh, the fact is, um, it really, really stepped into its own this season, and I've really enjoyed uh, what's been going on there. Uh, you've got a great cast, and they're really making use of that cast, and they're starting to make use of some of the uh, sort of the smaller parts of that cast to to really good comedic effect. So I'll go with that. Um, and hey, you know, I, I said from ages that ER, you know, ended far later than it should have. Um, but, uh, but the fact is, uh, ER ended well. Uh, they had a great last season and I thought a fantastic finale. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that because for any show that's been around for 15 years, that's, that's some achievement. Next up is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Seinfeld reunion. You know it's a bad idea, right? You know a Seinfeld reunion is going to be bad. And so they they really took that head on in uh, this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm and did such a great job with the Seinfeld reunion. It was hilarious and uh, really sort of <laughs> show you why these things never work. And for me, and this day, still number one in my heart, is Lost. Um, fantastic season this time around. All kinds of twisty, turny time travel stuff, which is 
always my favorite. And uh, they did a great job with that and setting us up for that last season. And uh, just, again, manning, managing to to pull a whole lot of, I can't believe they did that moves and, uh, and making it happen. So, uh, so always, uh, I'm really excited about the, uh, last season coming up. I've actually been rewatching from season one. So I'm about uh, midway through season three right now. So I'll be caught up just in time for season six, but, uh, five was, was, a, was a landmark as far as I'm concerned, some great storytelling and, um, you know, really sort of balancing that whole need for st- that whole thing that they do with story and uh, and having just some mind twisting stuff going on. On to comics. All right. Uh, first up, Terry Moore's Echo. Uh, you know, to, to, to follow up some uh, a work as great as Strangers in Paradise was difficult, but I think with Echo, he really did it. And way, the way he did it was he took some of those elements of that made uh, Strangers in Paradise work, and then he added a whole lot more to it. And that uh, really... Uh, um, I don't know. He did something different, but with taking the things that we like best about uh, about what worked before. And uh, so if you haven't been checking out, you definitely should. Uh, next up, uh, Stephen King's The Stand. Kind of a cheat, but, you know, Mike Perkins is doing such a killer job on the artwork for it that it's making the story, uh, which is one of my favorite books of all time, it's really making that story come alive for me again. And uh, and so I really enjoy what he's doing. And uh, I would really be uh, uh, remiss to not... Uh, Talk about Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, who is doing a great job of of adapting the book. Next up is uh, Blackest Night. Um, yeah, I know, crazy big cosmic event stuff, but man, it's so good. I'm really enjoying, uh, I'm even enjoying a lot of the tie-ins that I've been reading. And, uh, you know, hey, it's superhero zombies, it's superheroes coming back to life, uh, and, and <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, up next is uh, David Mazzucchelli's uh, return to, uh, to well, I guess sort of his return. He hasn't done much in, in the last several years. But, man, he made up for it with Asterius Polyp. It's really, really powerful stuff. Um, really talk about taking the medium and uh, and and doing all kinds of great stuff with it. Um, really communicating um, in new ways in an old medium. And, uh, and, you know, this is, this is one of those works that really pushes, uh, the, the medium into new, into new areas. And so, so definitely something that should be checked out. And, uh, finally Darwin cooks the hunter. Yeah. Gotta love, gotta love those Parker novels. And I really do read a whole bunch of them this summer. And a lot of that was, was set off with, with Darwin cooks, beautifully retro, um, uh, the hunter and that's, uh, the Richard Stark, uh, hunter book. So, so, you know, check that out and then go back and get the, uh, the park, the, uh, Stark original because you won't be sorry. So there we go. I actually managed to get the best of 2009 into one episode. So comments as always are welcome at poptopiapodcast at gmail.com or you can head on over to the forum, forum.poptopiapodcast.com and let me know what your favorite things of 2009 were. Have a great week.